Hi, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Wednesday, June 6, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. On this week's show, I apologize to the internet, Kelly shaves her dogs, and we talk tools, tools, and more tools. Wireframing, prototyping, documentation, debugging, and everyone's favorite, time tracking. So buckle up, because the Niche Podcast is next. Hello? Hello. How's it going? Uh, Good. How are you this morning? Pretty good. Escaped from the vacuum monster. (laughs) Yeah, you you must have the cleanest floor in Rhode Island. I know. You would think that, but the, the, the two dogs is just so much dog hair, especially in the summer. Yeah. We, um, we shave ours when the weather gets warm. Yeah. They're short-haired dogs, too. Br- like, brush them like crazy. It's just ridiculous. But, oh, well. I mean, you don't shave them like... I mean, that'd be a good idea. Shave them right down to the skin. No, no, <laughs> not that close. Just, <laughs> just, just cut it really short. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't, we don't have you know, a couple of naked dogs running around. Right. Patting would be like, slap, slap, slap. <laughs> That would be wacky. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely middle image there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, geez, I feel like I've been uh, talking into this microphone for a week straight. It's yeah, like, you uh, pretty much have been. Yeah, I've been online doing uh, all sorts of training and uh, and doing the podcast and editing the podcast. Just like me and this mic are best pals. <laughs> Let's see. How's the how's the online training going? Uh, pretty good. It's interesting. I did like um, I think it was about five or six classes. I've got one more today, and uh, I'm kind of you know just kicking the tires on the concept. And I'm gonna regroup after today and sort of go back and um, probably some of the topics were too much to fit in ninety minutes with Q, you know Q and A, and some of the topics were like yesterday I did um. Uh, building offline web apps with HTML. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot. I mean, it could have easily been three hours. Uh, so, um, you know, probably break that into multiple pieces that are like specific to local storage. Probably break out uh, offline application cache because that is uh, difficult to get through quickly. Uh, and the other thing is it's kind of hard to teach an online training class uh, about building things offline (laughs) you can't shut off your yeah you can't really demonstrate right right so i would like ssh into my the web server and show the server logs live so you could see that the that like as i was navigating around one window the server was getting no traffic in the other window so yeah (laughs) so it was pretty cool um today is uh gonna be a mobile debugging one which i haven't done before so i'm looking forward to that one that'll be interesting yeah, it's debugging mobile web is is uh, a black art to say the least. But it'll be yeah, cool. Yeah, it'll be the, cool. The little, the little bit I've done has been um, annoying. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we're just just now starting to get some decent tools for for debugging mobile. Exactly. Yeah, Adobe released something called Shadow that. Uh, 
is definitely in my toolkit. I don't use it all the time, um, but when I have a really difficult, usually really complicated like JavaScript bug and I need to step through the code, I'll use that. Or if I'm testing on a ton of devices at the same time, it's pretty useful. Yeah. Yeah. It, I found it's, it's, it's useful for that, but I found that it's still lacking in some things. Um, and which I, I guess I'm, I'm not even sure it'd be possible to do, but like you can, you load a page in shadow and if you fill out a fill out and submit a form on, on the desktop browser, the, the mobile sites aren't going to follow it and what have you, but I know. that would be it's probably a lot more complicated to do, but right. Yeah. You almost wanted to send all of your interactions to all the devices, but when you think about it, um, some of so the keyboard would be a huge one and you would think that you could do that but it is pretty complicated uh, i mean how would the how would shadow like call up the keyboard and then because you would want to see the keyboard open on the other devices like you'd if you yeah. clicked into a you know you focused on a form field in a desktop browser what you'd want is all the devices to like also gain focus in the same place and have their keyboards come up and then as you were typing see the keys type on the phone or, or at least have the keyboard up and and you know javascript doesn't trigger on all the devices at the same time but even for the even for the uh just the convenience of of reloading the page that you're on from the desktop yeah. and then being able to remotely inspect the dom of any one of the devices that's definitely worth the price of admission oh yeah definitely it's it's certainly a, a helpful tool. Just in my ideal world, it would it would follow all user interaction as well. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth it for the remote DOM inspection alone. Right. Yeah, I mean you can use uh, Winery and you can use um, what's it called debug.phonegap.com, but I find that uh, those are both just a little bit more complicated, and a little bit less convenient, but they work fine too. So you can uh, you can always use those. But anyway, so that that'll be the talk today. Um, and then after that's over, I'm going to take a step back and, you know, think about splitting up the topics differently. Differently, I didn't really do any marketing, so I want to, um, you know, I, I posted some tweets about it, but that was about it. Right. So thinking about Twitter. different ways to get the word out and these sorts of things. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter's out to get you now, so. <laughs> no kidding. So I could not win yesterday. I like tweet. I just like I, I literally that f the tweet that kicked off that whole reign of attack was was supposed to be just funny to one particular person. That's what I thought. Like it was a joke. <laughs> yeah, and not and she didn't even and not not only that. Like not only did other people jump on my my case, but uh, but I she totally didn't think it was funny. In the first, like <laughs> like I completely misconstrued how she was going to take it, and it was just. I was like, I'm going away from the keyboard now. <laughs> so it hasn't happened to me in a while, a Twitter attack. <laughs> no, it it happened with every tweet yesterday. I know. What was the other one? There, there's like something else. Uh, the one about people switching careers of all oh, things. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was like, we, we were just chatting and I just casually thought, you know what? I haven't got all of my like close friends. You know, my in real life friends, none of them except for the doctors and lawyers. I can't think of one except for doctors and lawyers who who make a living doing what they studied in college. Yeah, and so I'm I just the... do the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just like tweeted that. And then people were like, you're wrong. I learned how to learn in college. 
And <laughs> if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I was like, but I don't know. Like, you're not in the group of people I know in real life. <laughs> so how am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> you the, you can't be wrong about that. I mean, I mean, I guess you could if you were lying about what your friends did. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was like five people, you know, oh, I no, no, I do. And, you know, I think in retrospect, it was like, it was like I was attacking the value of higher ed, which, <laughs> which is true. I, I do question the, I mean, cause the costs are so, re, so like through the roof. Now you do have to ask yourself, is this really worth it? Like, am I really going to do this job? Um, My life. Yeah. But I was not prepared for, uh. Yeah, that was that was kind of not the point at all. I mean, we had he just made a casual observation that no one no one we know seems to be doing what they studied. I mean, <laughs> right. So yeah, sorry, um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was interesting. And in fact, um, the last couple of days, you know, the, the with the training going on, I would tweet out like, "Oh, training's gonna you know tomorrow or or whatever." Yep. I didn't want to spam my feed too much, so I I tried to be cool about it but uh you know i didn't really get a lot of response and it, obviously that could be that people were not interested or they didn't want to pay because they weren't free um but I, I was i wasn't sure if it was that or if engagement on twitter is lower than it used to be because i haven't really gotten a lot of activity on twitter and i was kind of wondering you know am i you know there's a lot of people following me i'm like are they really still on twitter yeah. or you know, it just is just like echo chamber here, and everybody's on like Google Plus or something. And then yesterday, so <laughs> it was it was proven that people are still listening. Turns out it's just you. Yeah, it's just me. Right. Today on the Niche Podcast, John apologizes to the internet for having opinions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> well, nice to know that Twitter's alive and well, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. We usually start off with the bug report, and I'm going to um, use that as a segue to talk about something not bug really related at all. <laughs> but, Good, because I don't have any bugs. Yeah, we didn't really, I, I can't think of any bugs per se that really cropped up last week. So, knock on wood, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I did a lot of coding, but everything went really well. Yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah, it is. Uh, but so there's something I, I worked around, which is that. Um, I've been trying for oh, at least three weeks casually, not really hard, but uh, every once in a while trying to uh, submit the niche podcast to iTunes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has never worked uh, until finally I gave up and, uh, and coded iTunes XML, RSS XML by hand. Uh, it worked first try. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the problem there being that uh, we're using... Uh, Margo as the the uh, the blog engine, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the XML that it's creating that iTunes doesn't like. Um, it says it says in iTunes that you don't have to use the iTunes specific uh, meta tags, but I'm thinking you do. So it, it definitely helps, at least. Evidently. So, uh, yeah, so very excited about the Niche Podcast being available on iTunes. I'm a huge podcast listener, and uh, I typically find that stuff through iTunes, so it feels a little bit like the first time uh, I ever heard one of my songs on the radio. I'm like, it's like, whoa, oh. we're famous. 
<laughs> so, uh, so that's pretty cool. And I actually tweeted about that and a friend from the speaking circuit, Mike Mamoff, who until very recently was uh, a developer evangelist at Google or technology <laughs> evangelist, not sure, uh, ev evangelist of some kind who flew all over the world to speak all over the place at everything. Um, he just left Google to work full-time on a startup, bootstrap startup called player.fm, which is really cool. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a podcast listener. I'm addicted to podcasts. We don't have TV. I just, I'm just totally a podcast guy. And player FM lets you, um, uh, it's sort of like, it's kind of like Pandora for, for podcasts, audio podcasts. I guess it's not a hundred percent. It's not a hundred percent accurate, but it kind of might, I, I use it in the same kind of way where, um, I, you know, you go to player.fm and, um, the, they're like channels and yeah. you can, uh, you know, browse them. You can see who, you know, who likes them, what the popular ones are, and then you can group together your own and people can, you can share that with other people. It's like, it's a typical like social media style take on uh, a podcast directory which is great because iTunes just is just really, really bad. Um, it's, it's got all sorts of, uh, at least for podcasts, you know, you're in the podcast section, you search for something and it returns like 2000 songs that have a similar title. I'm like, I'm in the podcast section. Yeah, exactly. I noticed that yesterday when you showed me the screenshot of, of niche in the search results, there were, there was a song in the search results there that was in no way related. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I'm just, you know, iTunes, I mean, you sort of, God bless them, it's like the iTunes, if you think about what it originally was and what it is now, um, it's it's pretty sprawling and bloated, um, and it, but it, it does get the job done, obviously, and they have to maintain it on Mac and Windows, and they've got all this gargantuan user base, so it's not like they could just, I don't know, change the whole thing wholesale anytime they want but if yeah they, they can't just dump compatibility and and redo the whole thing yeah yeah so i don't know though but for apple it's a very it's a very kludgy interface obviously apple's really good at that normally and itunes just never makes any sense to me so yeah i've always thought that yeah so i'm stoked for uh mike's new project and submitted the podcast to him of course it should be in the <laughs> web development section soon cool uh, so that's exciting. Yeah, there's no there's no backing out now. Yes, now we're stuck, and perhaps uh, perhaps our listener will be joined by some friends. Yeah, friends who can I don't know maybe ignore the first podcast or two because I I feel like <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to them and it's just kind of embarrassing because yeah, I I don't know if I've mentioned it but I'm a very big introvert <laughs> so it kind of took me a while to warm up to it. Well enough pokes with a sharp stick and eventually <laughs> yeah. everyone comes out of their shell. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, everything. I mean, even the sound quality and everything, you go back and listen to them, it's a little bit cringeworthy, but uh, hopefully people will start at the end and work their way backward if they have more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's usually what I do when I start something new. So. Yeah, me too. Uh, so we're, this is this will be episode nine, so we're almost, almost up to double digits. We should do something special on our 10th episode. Tenth episode, yeah, yeah. We've got, I don't know, we've got a lot of material saved up. We do a blooper reel. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, you can say that again. Okay, so let's see. So, I guess that uh, should we talk about 
some actual programming stuff? Sure. You've been uh, busy beaver this week. <laughs> I've been very busy this week. I um, first of all, I added some new features to Heavy Docs. Awesome. Which I believe I may have mentioned briefly last week, but I've actually got them finished now and up and working, and I've added support for editing uh, multiple records at once. Cool. Or, or I guess more accurately, pieces of multiple records. Right. So, so. How, like, how does that work? What's like from an interface standpoint? Because I haven't looked at it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the idea being, I, I tend to, I tend to create a lot of a lot of resources, and I'll do it either by cloning existing ones or. I'll have a series of resources for a model, and then I'll have, you know, maybe a parameter that changes, and so I'll need to update several, update several records. And before I was having to go through and do each one manually, so now I've just I've got it set up where you can go through, you can, in the interface there when you're viewing your resources as an author, there's a little little checkbox by the the resources, and you can select the ones you want to edit, and then from a drop-down menu you can select. Uh, I tried to, I kind of broke it up into sensible little chunks of of properties for a resource that you can edit. For instance, I have, uh, you can edit the request method and the, the URL, or you can edit description and tag is another one. Mm -hmm. um, authentication and rate limiting is another one. And then parameters and sample responses are each their own. Mm. And so you... You select select the records you want to edit, select the the properties within that that you want to update, and then it takes you to a page that it's just real simple. It's just a list of it just lists all of them with the the properties for each. So it's not like you're updating one text box and it's changing every record. You still have the flexibility there. Oh, to, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because I was going to say that that's a little might be a little scary unless you really knew for sure. You know, because I thought I thought you were gonna say that it like goes and edits them behind the scenes. And says, okay, done editing them. No, no, you you still have complete control over each individual record, so they can all be. You could bring up six records and and edit the descriptions, and each one could be different. But it just gives you it just puts them all there in one page, so you can edit them all at once. It does save a lot of time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so kind of like uh, PHP my admin when you've got a found set of records. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Man, that's great. Yeah. So it it saved a lot of time. I actually got a chance to use it the other day when we were doing the final round of revisions on the the project we just finished up. Mm -hmm. And I was able to do do things in just just very short order that would have taken a long time before. That's great. I had to. I think I ended up editing like thirty some records at <laughs> at once, and it was just. You're like, oh, thank God. Yeah, I don't. I don't have to open thirty pages and click thirty edit links. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's all. That's eating your own dog food. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and I'm about to, about to to add the um, the API query tool. I think. Cool. So I got it up and working last night. I think it's going to be really handy to integrate. Yeah. So describe that a little bit. I mean, I I, I think it's pretty straightforward to me. You showed me the screenshot, but. Uh... But for the listener. For the listener, yeah. Um, well, obviously, we do a lot of work with APIs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have multiple different ways of testing it. We, I, I've written curl scripts. We've written automated tests. 
you know, within Ruby and what have you. But sometimes it's nice just to be able to pull up. I wanted just a browser interface where I could pull up a, a page in the browser and enter everything. Uh, actually, very similar to what we're saving for a resource record in Happy Docs. I wanted to be able to enter, you know, enter the URL, the type of request, uh, username and password for HTTP basic auth, custom headers, custom parameters, and then just kind of throw that data at the API and get a, a nicely formatted result. Right. So like basic ad hoc queries. Right. Right. So I just I put together a little little Sinatra application to allow me to do that. It's just a just a single page app with some Ajax there to to save queries to the database because you know when, after you run a query you can save it if you want to. Mm-hmm. And so there's a just a little bit of Ajax there for actually to actually execute the query and then save it to the database and load and delete from the database and what have you for that. So. Awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Is that does that work um, we were talking about this, but I can't remember the answer. Does it work? It must work cross-domain somehow. Yeah. How did you get, is it doing that like on the server side? It's doing the actual query. You're just sending the right, information. Right. Yeah. It's the server that's doing the actual query. I've got the, uh, sending the request by Ajax to the Sinatra backend, and that actually uses a curl, a little curl wrapper to get the request. Cool. That, and then processes it and, and puts it, spits it back out to the interface. Right, yeah, that makes sense. So that's really cool. It's, it doesn't take uh, it doesn't take uh, much sort of imagination to see that somehow integrating with Happy, so that you could pull in sample responses automatically instead of having to copy and paste them, et cetera, et cetera. Right, you could use it to to generate sample responses and just to you know maybe test test a resource that you happen to be looking at. Mm-hmm. So you can, I can see, I can see accessing it from both ends. I can see, um, you know, bringing up the, the query tool as a, as a means of generating the data to put into the resource record that you're creating. And I can also see bringing it up as you're viewing the resource, just as a, as a means of testing it. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. We're like the turning into API ninjas over here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, just have I mentioned lately how much I love Sinatra? <laughs> it's just it's tiny and it just kind of gets out of the way and lets you do anything you want. Yeah, that's it. Sounds great. I mean, you've got I don't have experience with Rails other than just poking it, um, and but you spent some some real time programming with what Rails it was before Rails three, I think. Yeah, it was a while ago. Was, I think Rails two point one three was the last I've used. Mm-hmm. I poked around at Rails three not too long ago just to just to kind of brush up on it. Mm-hmm. And, but it seems like, but it seems like rail rails just sounds like, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's, it's not a knock really. I mean, it's, it's for building sites and, uh, and, and Sinatra is a lot more lightweight and it's for, um, yeah, I mean, Sinatra is for building APIs. So it makes sense that, that it feels more, nimble i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i actually in addition to the apis i use it for a lot of small web apps too mm-hmm. and actually happy docs is entirely written in sinatra cool so <laughs> it's uh in some ways i'm probably recreating a little bit of work for myself but a lot of times rails to me 
feels like overkill. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's sometimes where I would, I would rather rewrite a little bit than have all of the overhead of something that's, that's either not going to be used or that's going to end up just uh, too much magic when I can just, just as easily write a, you know, a handful of lines and, and do the same thing and be able to look at it and easily see what the code is doing. Yeah, that that was always my feeling with with Rails, and it's probably just me being like old and stuck in my ways because it it like does a lot of stuff, and you're like, well, like I want to know why it worked, and and I guess obviously there are levels of the stack where I don't feel that way, like HTTP, like I don't care how that works, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, just just as long as it works. But the flip side of that is there's no there's very little cause or reason for me to ever need to debug HTTP because it does always work. Right. Um, if it doesn't work, it's usually, it's not, it's not HTTP's fault, uh, or, or TCP IP's fault. So, but with rails, that's not the case when, it, when I was, you know, just demoing it and playing around with it. Um, it was like, you got to learn all this stuff. And until you learn all this stuff, there's tons of stuff to debug and you're just trying to like go through, it's just like so much to go through. Obviously, if you got, if I got over that learning curve, it would be different. And I have friends who are like rabid Rails evangelists. Yeah, uh, and that's fine. But uh, it just never felt like never felt like uh, as good a fit as Sinatra does. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it comes down to developer personality. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is fine. That's, and that's the kind of work, the kind of work that you're doing has a big. You know, if if it was, I wouldn't want to build like a, a massive. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example. Like Facebook, I wouldn't want to do. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do with Sinatra. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it with Rails Facebook either. But right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another thing, and I think a lot of people probably do this. Uh, Rails was my first experience using Ruby, mm-hmm. and I think for a lot of people coming into coming into Ruby and coming into Rails, that's how they do it. They learn Ruby, they learn Rails. They kind of kind of end up picking them up both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I ended up actually getting frustrated and taking a break from Rails for almost a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back to Ruby, I started working with Sinatra. And my understanding of Ruby just grew so quickly and improved so much versus what it had in Rails. Because, again, I was writing a lot more pure Ruby code. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really gave me a better understanding of the language. So I kind of wish I'd started from with Sinatra to begin with. Mm-hmm. But so that would be that would be my advice for anyone who's thinking of just picking up Ruby is is to to learn Ruby before you try and learn Rails. And right. if you want a web front end to learn from, Sinatra is a good good place to start. Right. You know what that reminds me of is uh, the sort of jQuery JavaScript. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people's first foray into JavaScript is is not it's jQuery, which of course is JavaScript, but it's not JavaScript. Uh, it's not like raw JavaScript. Yeah. So I I find lots of people who call themselves JavaScript developers, but they really don't know how to do anything without jQuery. Right. Um, which is fine, but you know I I'm a huge jQuery fan. And... Yeah, I, I I use jQuery a lot, but then there's other times where either you either you need to just do something in pure JavaScript. Or what you're doing is so minimal that it's it's not worth the jQuery overhead. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. And especially on mobile where it's like, I mean, it's not a huge file, but it's not the smallest file in the world. And if you're just doing like, just including JavaScript to, to, you know, put in a window on load handler, that's, you know, that's silly. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it, it just kind of reminds me that, that, um, where you like, Oh, you know, JavaScript, uh, and jQuery are not the same thing. Ruby and Rails are not the same thing. Um, but it can, if you learn the, the kind of framework piece first, it can um, really affect your understanding of the, the, the root language, I guess. What... Right, right. You could say that about any language and, and any framework combination, really. You could say the same about uh, Python and, and Django, Django or yeah. whatever. It's just, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, a big advocate now of, of learning the language first before you attempt to pick up any sort of framework or, or or big library like that. And that is why I'm learning C because I feel <laughs> like I feel like I just don't I'm just not really a programmer. No, obviously it's uh, everybody's going to enter into the programming from wherever is most convenient. Um yeah. But it's it, it is interesting to um cuz I sort of feel the same way. Like I was sort of turned off I, I didn't love Rails. It wasn't a great fit for me, and therefore I stopped looking at Ruby also. And that was <laughs> that's too bad. That's the problem. Because Ruby's pretty sweet. Yeah, I like Ruby a lot. So, yeah. Cool. What else is going on? There was a... Uh, yeah, I did a couple of other things, too. I've, I've been busy. I've been trading all kinds of, of little things. Yeah, we've we started... Um, like you mentioned before, while you're looking at your notes, mm -hmm. there was, uh, we finished up a project, I think it was on Friday or at least over the weekend, um, a design phase for a mobile app that we, uh, delivered and then started a new one uh, started a new def design phase for another client on, I think Tuesday, was this the short week? I can't remember. Yeah, it started on Monday. Monday. Yeah. So, uh, and there were, this was more. The previous project we did um, a lot of fairly high fidelity prototyping um, uh, in a a product. I don't really know how the uh, to correctly say it, but it's Proto.io. Uh, I find myself saying Proteo, but that's not actually how it's spelled. So yeah. Proto.io is this um, web-based, uh, uh, you know, prototyping solution that you know it's geared towards mobile, but you could do it's very iPhone-y uh, or iPad-y, uh, but it's generic enough that uh, you can get the idea of, you know, sort of small screen interactions, uh, the typical animations that you'd see in a mobile app these days. Uh, it's got a widget library. You can upload your own stuff. You can have collaborators. They can comment on things. It's really pretty cool. Um, and I, I'm, sh I'm sure we'll use it again when we need to do kind of like, like reasonably high fidelity prototypes makes sharing very easy yeah it's a it's a good little good little app i like it a lot it seems pretty pretty polished hmm. it reminds me of a lot um when i'm using it it feels just like doing filemaker which is something i used to do years back and where it's very layout based so you you basically create a screen and all the elements on that screen are specific to that screen you, you don't like have shared regions between different screens. You can actually, but we didn't need to do much of that. Um, so it's very much a cut and paste operation. Very, very WYSIWYG, 100% WYSIWYG. Um, yeah. 
which which I wasn't sure I was going to like. This was the first sort of larger, I think it's got about, I'm going to say it's got around 70 screens, maybe 50, 50 between 50 and 70 screens. And uh, it's, in the past, I've done a lot of prototyping for mobile with uh, JQ Touch. Mm-hmm. And as the as the number of screens increased, uh, I found myself glad that we didn't use JQ Touch because making a little tweak there, there's like no debugging. You know, it was just like you just throw this on the screen and it's on the screen and there's nothing to worry about. And it's not right. per, it's not perfect. It's not like the app, but it's good enough to uh, get the idea across. And you know, it was just really good. It was easy to share with the client. It was easy to demo for the client. They 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 very visual client and they you know grokked everything super easy so that was really cool if you want to check out proto.io i think you'll like it Uh, but then this project that we just started uh, is is sort of back of phase we're doing uh, wireframes before we do the prototype and so we decided to try uh, mockingbird well i guess you used mockingbird before uh not since the beta so it had been a long time ago but yeah i had used it in the past yeah, I had a login account already too. I must have tried it a while back, but um, I didn't. I hadn't really given it a, a test run with a client. And so far, I've been really impressed with how fast you've been able to crank out screens. I mean, I think in two days you cranked out fifty screens. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. You know, and it's like it's it's very wireframey. It looks like magic marker. Yeah, the the look is similar to Balsamic, but not not quite as sketchy. Right. Yeah, which I like. I like it a little. This I get why they Balsamic went with that sketchy approach to make it obvious that it's not the site, so to speak. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, Balsamic is like uh, it is like uh, an air app that you download to your machine, and I I didn't. I don't know. It didn't. I don't know. It's probably fine. I, I think I, they have a web interface too. Do they? I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was just uh, maybe maybe I just downloaded a client, but I didn't have to. Balsam, I do know. In in fact, um, Mike from Player FM, he uses Balsamic. He's a big fan of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, I know a lot of people use it. I think it's, I think it's probably a little more popular than Mockingbird. But of the of the the web based wireframing tools that are out there, um, Mockingbird's one of the more popular. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm super impressed with how fast it, you can crank through stuff. So the thing that I was bummed about was um, I thought that there was a way for uh, us to give read-only access to the client and then have them be able to annotate screens in the in the uh, right in the app. Right, and leave comments. Yeah, and the collaboration is really good. Actually, you can put collaborators in. In fact, you and I were editing, looking, you know, I was watching you edit a screen in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, almost Google Docs like, and that's awesome. That's really great. But the, I don't want the client to have right access to the screens and go yeah. in like, you know, and be putting yeah. like text notes, you know, using like inter- user interface widgets that are supposed to be, you know, that aren't f- for annotation. They're actually, you know, a button, and he'd d- drag a button into the margin and like type on it and say like, how come this is over here? Yeah. So, yeah, a little disappointed about that, but they it says it does say in the forum that they're working on annotations. Yeah, I saw the note in there that it was it was planned as a feature. And actually there's a there are a few things I would like to see added. I would like to be able to do a little more formatting on text 
Hmm. But like um, like um what like bold or italic or maybe bold or italic or or centering or you know just a justification on text areas. Hmm. That makes sense. I mean, I guess for, I guess for a wireframing app, you don't technically really need all that stuff. But it would, you know, bold text would be nice to have. Yeah. 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 That that um, you know, your typography is pretty is pretty presentational. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but overall, I'm pretty happy with it, especially yeah. the speed. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with it too. It's got. I've got a couple of different export formats that seem to seem to work well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, export as PDF seems fine. Just like send yeah. those to the client, upload those into Basecamp, and have them annotate the those, or or print them out and write on them and scan them and send them back, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like my like my client. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sent me the screenshot. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? They they, they you asked for a screenshot. Yeah, they they emailed me, got their website done, and they went for months saying it looks great, it looks great. Got it finished, and then they said, "Oh, it's it's not working for us." And so I said, "Okay, um, I you know I couldn't get the thing to break, so I was like, okay, send me a screenshot." Right. So they printed the page, scanned the printout, and then emailed me the scan. <laughs> mm. I'm sure the printout is like exactly what they saw on the screen. <laughs> uh, probably so, since it turns out they were using IE five and a half. Oh man, oh, I, I didn't even know that was still possible. I mean, are they like? Not, <laughs> they must be on Mac OS nine. Must be. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's like you know they complained that they're I, once I found out what browser they were using and they said their site wasn't working and I'm thinking, are uh, any sites? Yeah, working? and what about every other site on the internet? <laughs> Can you see anything? Yeah. Oh man. Wow. Yeah, I mean I mean even even Microsoft doesn't support versions of their browser that old. So Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that browser, that was the bra the Mac browser before Safari came out. Mm -hmm. And it was it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah, I remember it. Not not fondly, but I remember it. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, there you have it. It's still in the wild. Yeah, the, like you said, it has a has a point zero 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 one percent market share, and it's probably probably that client. That office, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that office. <laughs> Jeez. Well, just get back to him with a quote that's more money than it would cost to upgrade to uh, OS ten. Like to buy a new Mac. <laughs> right. So you know, it'd be cheaper if you just buy a modern yeah. computer yeah. <laughs> oh man or you know i'm sure even on os9 you could probably run an older ish version of firefox that would work better than ie five and a half <laughs> yeah i don't i remember um i remember using some kind of i want to say litmus but i can't remember exactly i remember using some kind of uh of browser testing software that included 5.5. And, mm. and, and I don't remember what it was, and I don't remember what the other browsers were, but I do remember there were other browsers. 
And, yeah. And not just and not just for Windows. I can't remember. It must have been Firefox. Was it Firefox back then on the Mac? Uh, it might have been called Firebird at that time. They, I think they renamed at some point. Oh, you know what it was? Hmm. It was Netscape. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's what it was. Cause I, yeah, I remember, Netscape. I think that's what it was. Netscape 6 or something, something. like that, yeah. Yeah, wow, it's getting way back. No kidding. That's like like mid nineties, early nineties. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it could be worse. It's it's not like they're trying to access the internet with NCSA Mosaic. Or <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, yeah. Enough moving of, along. Enough <laughs> so, so sitting here ridiculing my clients. Yeah. I can I can um, I can I can talk about them because they I know they won't listen to this. I don't work for them. Haven't for a year. So yeah. Well, it won't load in their browser anyway. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> horrible um, um if if by chance you are listening i am sorry <laughs> friends don't let friends use ie55 i mean come on friends friends don't let friends use ie but yeah um no i did a I had a couple of other small things i've been working on over the past few days too and cool. they were just kind of personal projects um which i guess the query tool was too but i have plans to integrate it into into happy so that sort of relates but you know the other things i was working on were just just a couple of little personal things and one is uh, a little utility that i've been meaning to, to clean up and put together for a while and then the other one was just kind of a just a little one page app site thing i did on a whim mm -hmm. and i guess i will i guess i'll talk about that one first um i just i i just i had a had an itch to make a little a little time tracking app. Oh right, I at like eleven o'clock Friday night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I just it was you know time tracking is kind of a pain, yeah. and so I thought, well, I'll just make a little a simple little web app to do it, and and so I, I stayed up Friday night and, and did, cool. and. I mean, it's it's out there. I don't know that anyone will ever use it. I don't know that I will ever use it, but it's out there. It's uh, do this now. CC. It's real simple. It's just you go in and you you enter enter the name of of whatever thing it is you're working on. You click the start button to start tracking time, and then when you're done, you click stop, and and you can either delete it or save it. And it's you know got client side persistence there with um, local storage, so you can save save tasks for later and click on them and load them back into the counter or or you know just kind of just to view the times and that's that's basically it it's it's mobile friendly full offline support cool. uh, I've tested it on screen resolutions I think down to 320 pixels and it, it looks better starting at 480 and going up but it works fine at the lower at the lower screen size too right. and so yeah, that's that's basically all there is to it. Just a simple little, simple little time tracker. You know, do this now. Cc. Yeah, yeah. And, it's fun. It's like a cool little exercise in uh, in like client side persistence. Right, right. It was kind of, it kind of just playing around with some of the things we did in Avalio, and I just wanted to, to go back and revisit those and re-implement them, and 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 what have you. Now that I've had a little more experience doing them. Mm-hmm. And you're using local storage or, or the SQL database? Local storage. Yeah. Yeah, it's just as easy. Like for, yeah. We're talking about tiny amounts of data. Right, right. 
Yeah, I was talking about that in the podcast yesterday, not the podcast, but the training yesterday about like the differences and like when to use local storage versus the, you know, SQL database and, you know, index DB, how that plays into the game and all that. And it's funny, people are five megabytes doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it's a lot. And and people are seem really, really nervous about the five megabyte limit for local storage whenever they're thinking about it. You know, it's like whenever I'm telling somebody about local storage, they're like, oh, a five megabyte limit. That's I can't use that. And I'm like, yeah, you can. You can use yeah. that for a lot of stuff. Yeah, when you're just talking about text, if you were storing images in there, yeah, no way. Yeah. But if you're just talking about text, you can you can do a lot of text in five megabytes. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, you can. I've seen, I've seen entire novels that are you know less than five megabytes in a text file. Right. I mean, you wouldn't want like, you know, you're not going to have like an entire massive database, um, but whatever five megabytes it's a lot yeah the, what i usually tell people is if you've got if you're doing anything meaningful with that data you're gonna have performance problems before you hit the five megabyte limit right so it's kind of a problem that solves itself because you just be like oh you know i'm using this approach it's starting to get slow so i need to move over to something else but you know starting with like web sql which um is is been removed from the spec into its own area and is probably never going to get implemented uh, in Firefox or IE. Um, local storage is implemented pretty much everywhere, mm. you know, you, and it's so easy. It's like just use it. Oh yeah, it's it's very very simple to use. Mm. So and there was a, I think there was another thing you you another oh pulp is that the other one? Yeah yeah that's the other one. Um. A uh, little bit of background on that. I think I showed it to you a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I had started out as it was just kind of a kind of a little CSS framework slash boilerplate, you know, HTML boilerplate for it was kind of loosely inspired by Bootstrap, but a lot more minimal. Hence, hence the name. Just kind of the the little tiny meaty bits that you need to get going. <laughs> 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 and. Uh, <laughs> And I had I had tossed it up on onto GitHub as just this kind of little little CSS boilerplate, and then I started using it. And over time, as I was using it, there was there were things about it that I liked and things about it that I didn't like. And you know, just like any new project, it goes through various stages of iteration and, and refinement. And so I went through the other night and I took what I had what I had come up with over the last, I guess, couple of months from, from using it and refining it and ended up stripping out a lot of what was there originally and, and cleaning up, cleaning up a lot of what I didn't remove. So it's, it's actually pretty different now from what it was when I started with. And I kind of, kind of put that all back together. And I thought, well, mostly, most of the time where I've been using this is on these little small web apps. Mm-hmm. And so then a while back, I had also made a, a little um, bash script to sort of generate um, generate a little a little starter application, a little Sinatra starter application for for building these these tiny web apps. Right. Like so I just kind of so. yeah yeah. So I just I just took the two and kind of rolled them all together into one, and you know, really put it up. And so now Pulp has now become this little. It's a bash script and then the the package of, of static assets there and you just you run the shell script and it generates a 
a basic MVC sort of structured little Sinatra application with a couple of couple of config files and some some reasonable I think defaults mm -hmm. and then it just it also kind of kind of dumps in that front end boilerplate right so you immediately have like a, basically a crud UI for the models that you created uh, it doesn't doesn't do any kind of scaffolding oh I see so what so the the so it basically just gives you some templates that you can like as a starting point right right it gives you gives you the the CSS little CSS template which uh, re, you know does some resets for cross browser compatibility and sets some some sensible defaults for things like uh, link formatting list formatting and, and typography right and that sort of thing and um, generates uh, an HTML5 layout file with you know, that includes some some useful useful libraries it includes the CSS and I think I've I'm also got font awesome in there and jQuery hmm. and HTML5 shiv and so it's just a just a very very simple little HTML boilerplate and then that um, that little CSS starter I, I don't really want to call it a CSS framework because it's not not that involved but it's it's slightly more than a reset right well that's kinda, cool so like that's all that stuff you kind of have to do every time anyway so right. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. So now you you just run the one shell script and it you creates the creates the Sinatra app, which again I I pretty much follow the same structure, uh, sort of MVC type structure for all of my Sinatra applications. Mm -hmm. So it just it generates all of that and creates the config file and creates a gem file and in, includes some some commonly used gems that I I find that I'm using in pretty much every um, Sinatra application, be it be it API or or web app. Right. And um, yeah, so that that's it. And you know, again, the all the CSS on all the front end stuff is is there in a zip file that you can extract and, and just use it separately if you don't want the Sinatra goodness. So, <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, if uh, next time I go to to create something like that, I'll definitely be using that because I haven't. You know, as much as we talk about this stuff, you're the one that's always doing it. So, um, you know, I haven't. Like I now have tons of great code examples, but I haven't been do, you know doing really any backend coding at all. I yeah. do purely front end JavaScript stuff. So uh, I'm sure the day will come, and probably soon, that I want to crank something up and throw it on a an EC2 instance, and that will be what I do. Yeah, if you if you want to look at a sample application, and actually the API query tool was was generated with with pulp as the base hmm. and I'm I'm really pleased with the the code in the query tool I think it's pretty pretty clean and and minimal and I just think it came together really well I mean it, it's doing a very simple thing but I think it came together really well so you know that would probably be a good a good one to download and, and see how it's all coming together mm, excellent and so pulp is on github mm -hmm. and the query tool is up somewhere yeah, it's also on GitHub. Okay, cool. Awesome. So we'll link to those in the show notes, which you can find in iTunes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, cool. So I think we should probably call it a week at this point. Um, oh, I mean, I, I can take take Thursday and Friday off. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know how you're always trying to uh, get days off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not at all a workaholic. Right. 
yeah, Friday night creating a a uh, Sinatra framework yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and I just I, just, I don't know I got in a mood the last this last week where I wanted to to finish up some things some things and get some more open source stuff out there and and get some little tools built that we can use and make life easier. So I'm I'm all about small tools that you know make things I do every day a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I'm all over that. Like it's like. I won't go into it now, but that's basically the root of my uh, hatred of, of billing clients by the hour because mm. it, it makes me not – because you can't really charge them for the time you take building your own tools, or, or maybe you can, uh, but it's a, it's debatable. And if you're doing you know hourly, then – it's one thing if you're doing hourly, hourly with another developer because you speak the same language, but with clients, it's like it's it's really hard. Uh, because it's hard to justify. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's sort of, I, I won't go into it. I don't like, I, I'm not a huge fan of doing software projects with clients on an hourly basis. Cause I always feel like you're, I, I always feel like they end up getting screwed. I don't yeah. Know. I always feel guilty when it comes time to debug. <laughs> I mean, I know it's part of the process and like you said, working with other developers, it's not a big issue, but when I'm debugging things and the clients being paid by the hour, I always, always feel guilty. <laughs> yeah. It's like certain stuff, you know, is this billable? Is this not billable? And really at the end of the day, all they, all they care about is like, you know, I, I need something built. It's going to have a particular value to me and it needs to cost less than the value. It's like simple math. Yeah. But, uh, it's just tough to define what those values are in advance. So, and costs, but st it doesn't change the fact that I think, you know, billing, billing for things like that by the hour, you know, you might as well, it's just at, the hour is totally arbitrary. You could be slow. You could be fast. You might as well bill by the pixel. It doesn't mean <laughs> it's unrelated to the value of the, of the product, but, uh, we can talk about that on another, another yeah, podcast. That's a, that's a whole debate for another day. We've, we've just, you've already apologized to the internet today. For, yeah. For stirring up trouble. So yeah. I've gotten plenty of, it. <laughs> I've gotten in plenty of Twitter fights about that one. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh Yeah. So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we'll talk to you again next week on the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye.